Do you want to become a better songwriter? Well, we created a very simple 10-minute songwriter personality test, and it's going to help you better understand who you are as a writer, and it's going to help you in the writer's room when you're writing with other writers, because you're going to be able to identify what kind of writer they are, maybe even have them take the songwriter personality test. If you're curious and you want to take the songwriter personality test today, just visit songwriterpersonalitytest.com or go to the link on the writingworship.co website. Welcome to the Writing Worship Podcast, a place for kingdom-minded songwriters to grow in their craft and community. Welcome back to the Writing Worship Podcast. I am one of your hosts today, Eric Nordoff. I'm Nick Morrow. Yes, Director of Writing Worship. Emily Weeks. Mentorship extraordinaire. We realize she's the OG of the Writing Worship Mentorships. That's right. Yes. And Rachel Thomas. Our social media. If you are interacting with us at all on Instagram, on Facebook... Sorry, guys, it's not Eric. It's not me. It's, <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not Chrissy. It's not Chrissy. It's Rachel. It's Rachel. That's why there's a lot of y'alls in the DMs. If she signed any contracts as Chrissy, it's just heads up. It's not it's Chrissy. It's not her. It's actually me. Sorry, y'all. Sorry. Hey, speaking of which, there's a Chrissy, there's a fake Chrissy on Instagram. There oh, was. There was. Is she still there? I mean, I don't know. Um, <laughs> they messaged you? me. Oh, and they were asking for were a meeting. And I said, well, hey, Chris is my boss. And if anyone's setting up a meeting, I'd probably know about it related, related to writing worship. So it was awkward. I did not get a response. Yeah. On okay. The I just like shut it down. I should, we should know this, I guess. Is it just a bot? I or is it like think a, it's a real person a real targeting. Person I had Chrissy change her Pass. password and everything after yeah. that because it was weird awkward like yeah, a bunch of people so came to her yeah and oh, um and and uh, anyway <laughs> so in other words stop doing that you guys <laughs> yeah, if you're listening if you're listening please don't do that again not really talking Chrissy. she will not dm you and ask you about such and such that's true all right so today we've been uh talking and uh discussing what Usually in the beginning of our conversation, we'll, we'll talk about something interesting. And we're talking about Christmas because we're really close to Christmas. And I have a question for you all. Ooh, What's the away. best gift you ever received on Christmas, for Christmas? Or the best thing you did, you know, sometimes an activity is something that you remember. Or, I don't know, we have no no gifts as a, as a love language in the room here. None of us have ever received a good gift. I I don't think this is the best gift. So I can't, especially my wife or my parents, they've given so many amazing gifts that were like so sweet to me over the years. So I should say that first. But I remember the one I was most surprised by was I had my best friend when I was maybe 20 or 21. His name is Alex. Nay, shout out to Alex. who's almost definitely not listening. What's up, Alex? And he gave me a guitar. And I wanted to, like, I had a nice acoustic guitar, but I only had one. Mm -hmm. And I remember I'd been talking about, like, I want a beater acoustic guitar, you know, where I could just take whatever. And he and I would always, we'd be, like, in the Starbucks parking lot playing guitars. And I was always kind of babying mine because it was was the only one I had. It was nice. Well, he gave, he had, I don't know, two or three maybe. And he gave me one of his guitars. What? Just 
for no reason other than he was wow. just sweet. And you know, we're young, college kids were poor, and like yeah. mm -hmm. it's really. I remember being really struck by that. That was a good gift. Yeah, that is a good gift. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, I thought of sure. one, Say. a two actually. Okay. So the first one, and they're both electronics. So the first one is <laughs> my first keyboard synthesizer. Mm. It was the Yamaha. SY99, I think it was. Oh, yeah. Dude, you take me back. There's noises and sounds that came out of that only. Like, I could, there was a project that was recorded that actually of an artist back when I was working at a record label. They released, they produced their whole album on this SY99. This Yamaha. So I could tell, like, the sounds. Can you give us the year? What was the year on this? This was night. Well, when I got the keyboard, it was 1990. Okay. So I was uh, 20, no, 19 years old. Okay. And that was when I first started like producing yeah. and composing yeah. my own stuff. That's so cool. And then, so that was cool. But back even further than that, like 1984, I got my first computer. It was an IBM PC mm. Junior. Oh, wow. I'm the wow. oldest of the, of, in the room here. But it was like 128K RAM. Oh, <laughs> it was like oh, yeah, yeah, floppy yeah. disks. Yeah. But oh, yeah. man, I wore that thing out. I like, yeah. I like, Played games on it. 84. Produced a bunch of stuff on it. Like, I used this programming language called Basic. Okay. It was the coolest thing. So, those were two really cool gifts yeah. my parents gave me for Amazing. Christmas. What about you, you ladies? Did I introduce you guys? I feel we like did. We did. I think okay. we did. Okay. So, I can remember coming out of the hallway and my grandparents were visiting for Christmas, and my grandfather had actually built a dollhouse out of just out of wood Whoa. and put wallpaper on it and wow. made little tiny chairs and tables and little people. And I was <laughs> very delighted. Oh, yes. yeah. I was How like, old were you? I was just like, I forget. It was like that age, probably like my girls are like elementary age. I'm, I yeah. think I was elementary deal. age, but I was very thrilled with that. Yeah. yeah. That's yes. a big deal, girl. Yeah, mm -hmm. I feel you. Yeah, similar probably, like maybe the most impactful at the time was... The American golf, golf. Wow, it was golf. American golf. The American girls golf. Kirsten, and this was back oh, Kirsten. when they had just Kirsten. Kirsten for the win. They just Swedish. launched, and they were so. I mean, they still are so expensive, but back mm -hmm. then, like. I don't know how my parents bought one. I still don't know. But like for yeah. 80 bucks for a doll, I remember they yeah. were like, this is all y'all are getting. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and you better cherish it for a lifetime. But you know what? We did. I mean, it was like, I remember opening it and being like, well, this is all we got. So, I mean, but it was like, better it was like so, it. better like it. But it was so special because like those things had just come on the scene. That's and it, I don't remember why yeah. that company, whoever did their marketing and all the things back oh, then, yeah. like, like shut up, really? yeah, slam dunk. But that was really impactful because I remember being the only one on our street that had that doll, and mm. who knows where it is now. But for whatever reason, wait, 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 wait. Time, you better enjoy this for a lifetime, <laughs> and you don't still have and I Kirsten. Don't, yeah, where's Kirsten? 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 I where think my mom Kirsten? maybe sold her at a garage. Oh no, something. Kirsten's in somebody's <laughs> arms right she's now. So <laughs> impactful. She's so impactful. But a, a gift maybe later that came that actually I still use now. Eric, I feel you. The Novation 61, my MIDI, okay. is solid. I still use yeah. it. It was the first, like, MIDI I, I learned how to trigger my pads on leading worship live. And that mm. kind of changed. It just changed the way I could lead by myself because I had yeah. more tools. And I feel like it's something I still use today. So yeah. this is great. I would love, if you want to know what I want for Christmas. Oh, yeah. See that, yeah, right? Yeah. I would love a Nord 
Uh, please, dude, where can the you Nord please is. get where the, the Nord is. is? The Lord oh, is. That's right. Yes. One Nord <laughs> right. for the Lord. <laughs> yes, they're, that's a gorgeous. The tones inside the Nord are like second to none. They're just Agreed. so delicious every time. Yes, mm. that's the word. We've yeah. been trying wow, to get this is getting real nerdy. We've been guys. trying to get <laughs> a, a Nord sponsorship for years. Chrissy keeps yeah, writing letters. Of, yes, exactly. <laughs> really? Is that right? Not a sponsor yeah, I mean, yet. Nord Huff. You know, oh, oh sure, yes. okay, yeah. Come on, okay. yeah. it's like yeah. a no-brainer. Agreed. But it hasn't happened yet. Quiet Nord, time music. If anyone from Nord is listening, yeah, Quiet Time. Yeah, yeah. sponsor yeah. Quiet Time. And I mean, geez. So, yeah. anyway, wow. There okay. we go. That's it. Well, so that's that's my question, and we have a very special guest today. One of my faves. One of I think our collective faves. Great. That's right. What did you call him? Well, I just called him Tony Wood, but you called him the Tone. Right? <laughs> I think you used to call him Bro Tone. Bro Tone, yeah. my Bro Tone. Bro-tone. I'm Guys, sure he would love I this. I do have a story about Tony Wood. Can I yes. show this? Yeah. Okay. So I had just come back from the Scotland trip, and I had I'd always written alone, mm-hmm. like kind of my own private thing, but I kind of was awakened to co-writing on this trip, and so then I started being like, maybe I am a songwriter, mm. like. I think I am, maybe. So I see Tony at church one Sunday, very shortly after this. And we were just talking. And I don't know how we got on this, but he was like, oh, yeah. Like, um, yeah, so I'm a songwriter. And I was like, me too. <laughs> me too, Tony. Yes, girl. And then I was like, whoa, like, did I just, did? was I able to just like say that to Tony Wood? Like, even though, <laughs> has anyone recorded any of my songs at this point? No. But what's cool about it is you came back afterwards and I think was at this moment where you kind of said, I needed to say that out loud. Like I needed to actually verbalize and agree with that statement that I am a songwriter, cut or not. Cut, right, exactly. And it was like kind of this like, I kind of felt funny after I said that because I was just kind of excitedly being like, we have something in common. And then I was like, actually, (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) you know. That's so good, though. I I remember someone, I was talking with someone one time and they said, oh, I hear you're an aspiring songwriter. And it was my heart sank so deep because I was like, I've written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of songs Mm. at this point. And I was like, I'm not aspiring to write. Like, I write all the time. I'm aspiring to make more money. (laughs) Or like, make whatever on songs. But... That thing of like saying, if you are actively engaged in, in writing songs, you know, for folks listening, is like, if you're doing it, yeah. you are a songwriter. That's right. And right. that's, and it doesn't matter who's heard your songs or how many cuts you have or any of that or how stuff. many cuts they have or yeah. mm-hmm. right. number ones, Tony, we know. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> what is it? 30, 30 number ones? Like Chrissy it considers him a, a mentor to, to her. To I mean, when she has an industry question or a problem or needs feedback on she something, she goes to Tony. She calls yeah. him. First call, for sure. Uh, there's few, maybe none, in the game in Christian songwriting that have written for as long as he has, as much success for the longevity that he's had, sure. and are still in it. I yeah. mean, yeah. and he's still yeah. in, I mean, I've seen it in Rights with Tony when he's like, we're just swinging for the tune on the church's record you know mm-hmm, and he's mm-hmm. just still he works so hard and i also will say this i laugh the hardest laugh i had at conference this year was <laughs> during tony's talk with the, which you, you all are about to hear wow yeah okay. it's, it, it was just really funny so if you okay. hear someone in the background really it's laughing me. Hard, it's Nick. it was me <laughs> yeah it was me <laughs> Yeah. Well, right. Write in and let us know what moment you think that was. <laughs> yes, in the comments on in social comments. media, please tell us. <laughs> All right, well, let's listen in to Tony's Tony Wood at Writing Worship Conference. 
Our next guest is Tony Wood. And um, Tony has had how many number ones on radio now, Tony? I know it's like 34, 33, 34. 34 number ones on Christian radio, this man right here. Um, So not only has he been one of the most successful writers in the Christian music world, probably, if you count accolades, um, he has one of my favorite hearts in this industry. And if I'm going through a rough time, you know who I call? This guy right here. <laughs> I call this guy for coffee, for encouragement. We recently had um, a coffee where we were trying to decide if, if we were normal or not, <laughs> right? We're not. We're not. It's, that, <laughs> it's that simple. It was something like that. Yeah. Like, are we just songwriters or are we crazy? It was that kind of a conversation. But okay. Tony has been very good in helping to verbalize to me just some of the emotional process side of being a songwriter and being in the industry and being a part of that. But um, today he's going to share a little bit with us about his specialty, which is lyric writing. And um, so Tony is pulled into many situations with an artist and a producer, and he works on the lyrical side of things. So you guys are going to love hearing from him today, my brother, Tony Wood. Thank you, Chrissy. We're going to take a pretty hard turn from Jenny. Jenny was the sacred and the weighty. This is shop talk now for about the next 30 minutes. I'm going to race to beat the clock and get as much in as as we can. Um, Man, what a rich couple days y'all have in front of you. I looked looked at the list of people that are all a part of it and go, man, it it is friends and heroes and Benji Coward too, somehow in, in, in that mix. Um, I started writing songs in high school, continued through college. In college, there was a magazine called CCM Update that for a while, every month, they would say, for this month, these two publishers are looking for songs. For 30 days, they will... They will take what you send in to them, and they would respond back with letters. Those days are gone. But I sent in songs to multiple publishers, and the response that I got on multiple times was, this, this music sucks mightily. <laughs> These lyrics suck less mightily. <laughs> I am an optimist by nature. And I can dig a compliment out if I have to. And in that, I heard that hmm, maybe the word side of it really is more for you. And it helped clarify for me too that that's what's what I'm passionate about. I could functionally write music, but I loved what the message of it was all about. And so that's kind of the side of, of the road that I've worked on for the last 30 years here in this town. It's funny because with Christian music, Naras, the, the people that put on the Grammys, define the Christian category based on lyrical content. Every other formats of music are defined by something musical about them. We are defined by lyrical content. I'm completely biased, but I think the lyric is the best and most important part of the song. I was joking with a, with a co-writer recently about how of the Old Testament worship that remains... We have the book of texts, but we don't have a melody that endured, that, that, that lasted. I think there's a little bit of a God and nerdy sense of humor in that with, with God, with, with, with what endures. Ralph Murphy, who was at ASCAP for a lot of years, said, what brings the listener to the song is the melody. 
right? First time you heard that, oh, you were just captured going down the road. But what keeps them is the lyric. And that, that's what we want to work to, to create there. Johnny Mercer, who wrote so many great songs, Moon River and others, he says, it takes a lot of talent to write music, but it takes a lot of courage to write lyrics. So for those of you who are on that side of the road, welcome brave people who are daring to put these things out there. I can't speak for females on this point, but I can with great certainty say the only reason a guy ever sits down as a young man with a piano or guitar and starts to sing out these things from inside of him is to get the girl. It's the only reason no guy spiritual enough to write a worship song the first time. I did that at 17, foolish enough to also play it for the girl. It was a formless, rhymeless, melodyless mess of a song. However, we dated for the next 18 months. So suddenly the music nerd had a weapon in the arsenal to to use in getting through high school. So I was convinced on the power of music. That may have been what kept me going through this, but just don't give up. So put a pin in that that moment in life. We'll we'll come back to that. Um, But it is our attempt to communicate something, to basically say very cautiously and and carefully, I have felt this way. Have you ever felt this way also? And anytime you have tasted that moment when somebody speaks back to you and says, that song, what that meant to me, that bridge that we built, that lifeline that we put out there. I mean, think about the first songs that you loved, not just the ones you like, but like, This song will be with me for the next 50 years. I think it told you something about yourself that you could not articulate yet, but somebody cared enough to write it down. It shone a light into the darkness and lit a small piece of the ground of the emotional territory for you and led you a little further along. It named something for you. And we continue to do that with great worship songs. We name something for other people and they can hold on to it and praise God with that language that they could not articulate before. That is the business we're in, naming for others. And when somebody successfully names something for you, that song, you feel just a little bit more alive with that song. It's what we do it for been thinking recently about how it's kind of odd. What's the first job given in in the Bible? What what was Adam's job? Naming things. It's the work that that we do. Uh, Kind of an overview of some places that that we're going. I'm going to talk about the difference between writing to give and writing to get. We all start off writing to get. I did. I told you. I confessed it. I got. It, was, it, it, it works. Um, there is no sin in writing to get. As a pop artist, you can make a very successful living. Ed Sheeran writes to get. And we give him money. And we give him ticket sales. And that's, there's, there's not 
anything wrong about that. But as believers, we have a higher calling. We have a calling to approach it from a bit of a higher place, and we pick up the pen, sit down at the keys, wrestle with paper that's stuck together. Good Lord. In order to give to people, um, to serve, writing is a service industry. You evolve from getting there. You, get, you leave the place of wanting to make it about you and move to the place of making it about other people. What does that person in the fifth row of my church need? that I can name for them and put it out there and give to them. A a co-writer said to me once, I'd never heard this this quote before. They said, expression is a short-sighted pursuit. That's very one-sided. Communication is the longer, harder, better road. That that requires caring about that person. Are they getting it? Stephen King uh, said one time, uh, I, won't, I won't get the quote exactly right, but he says, people are most drawn to writings when they hear echoes of their own life in it. It's like, yeah, you're, that, that, to me, that's just back to the naming stuff. Writing great lyrics... Uh, Kind of point number one, if, if, if there are points under this, is it begins with a great idea. Here's the complete bad news for the day. Finding great ideas is an unteachable art. I don't know how to teach people to, to find great ideas. I just know some people do it better than others. I have heard songs on the radio that I was like, I know what line and what movie that came from. I heard that line in that movie. I just didn't write that song, but Diane Warren did. Um, It's unteachable. It's like, you know, the big idea songs, those, those that are just song of the year category. God bless the broken road that led me straight to you. If you get a title like that, just don't mess it up, and you're, and you're halfway to the bank. I believe that song could have been written 17 different ways, musically, lyrically. Just don't mess it up and hit that line, and you're on the way to a hit with that. Songs that are just bigger. Chain Breaker was just a bigger idea. The House That Built Me was just a bigger idea than some other people had. Um, I wish I could point out how to pay better attention to books, movies, conversations. But as writers, our antenna is up all day, every day. Any conversation with me is fair game. And I'm a good actor because I won't flinch when you say that title. (laughs) Something inside me will jump up and down. And as soon as I get back to my truck, I'll write it down or say it in my phone. But you won't know when you've said it. 
James Baldwin said, aren't writers the worst? They just raid life. And we do. We are not safe people to, to be around. A great song idea, too, is it's a new window into an old idea. Well, you'll agree with me. All truth has been given, right? Somebody comes to you and says they've got a new truth for a song. It's time to get out of that co-write. All truth that we need has been given. We're not looking for new truth. And every theme has been written already. All songs are first cousins to some other song. I'm aware of that sometimes when I write. If we've even just got an idea title on it, the table, it's like... Well, it's a little like this song on that record and this one that I heard years ago. And so somehow those become cones in the road that I'm going to steer away from. I'm not going to make it musically like that one, or I'm not going to do what this one did in the bridge. Um, it is the same for every writer deals with that. Phil Wickham deals with that. That there's not a big new truth, but there are new windows to look through. That's what I'm going to say. Every truth has been told, but every window has not been looked through. And you are the window that you bring to the writing process there. I've heard the faithfulness of God a lot. I've not heard the faithfulness of God told through your experience and through your life and how you frame it differently than I would, but that I hear some of me in that and go, ah, that, that articulates something that allows me to worship better. You, you've, you've heard the story of like the four blind men that were standing around touching an elephant, describing it. One's on the tusk and says, well, an elephant's like a, a, a rock that's a spear and one's on the leg. It says an elephant's like a tree trunk and the tail and all, all of that descriptions. And in some ways, that's what we're doing as writers, we are touching pieces of God and doing the best that we can to describe the indescribable. Little glimpses, little pictures at best. And the great news is he is inexhaustible. Write a lifetime and you're only capturing this much. But sometimes that window that you give is the window that I need. 10 million songs and we will not begin to explain the nature of our God. But there will be those songs that make you say, well, I never looked at it that way before. You knew about heaven but you felt it a little bit differently when you first heard, I can only imagine. And that's what we're doing. All ideas have been written, but not all windows have been looked through. And that's what we bring. I want to talk about the thoroughly thought through song, because I love alliteration. Um, some, somebody said, some songs begin as lyrics in search of melody, Others begin with melody only. Some start as a lonely effort in a solitary room and finish with the help of two or three others. Some kick off in a room full of writers and then it later falls to one person to complete the task. 
No rights and wrongs, how it starts, how it ends. Just write the great song. Jerry House, who's a, who's a DJ here in town for a number of years and, and a songwriter himself, had one of the best quotes. So they asked him how he likes to start the song. And he says, my favorite way to begin is with a co-writer who has a first verse, a chorus, and a record deal. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's a dream right there. Um, no matter how it starts, there, there is usually that moment of inspiration and you know how good that feels. The antenna is up, you're going through life, you're driving to get to the grocery store late Tuesday afternoon after work and suddenly this thing from this sermon three weeks ago that you made a mental note, there's something there. You've been turning that stone over in your mind for a couple of weeks and in, and the cosmos opens, the title, the verse, the first half of the chorus downloads to you and it's electric. You just, you're getting it. You pull over in the Home Depot parking lot, reach into the back seat, fish out for that McDonald's bag, smooth it out, and you just start scratching down lines as best you can, as fast as you can, and it's coming, and oh, look, and it rhymes, and this is, oh, look, oh, chorus, repeated that title, this, oh, you know, ah. It's alive, it's electric, it's the best. We are nerds. Um, <laughs> and then later you get home and you're like, yeah, let me type this up, make some, make some sense of it. And I used to think as a young writer that this was my song. This was my draft of the song. What I realize now is that this is just the stuff of my song. It's an early draft. The creative within you loves everything you write. <laughs> the creative is great. The creative is necessary. The creative within you, some of you are going to take this line home today, must be pampered and cared for. Don't go home and tell your husband or wife that because they're, they're, they're going to go, yeah, you're not going to that conference next year. But, but you, must, you must find ways to care well for this creative within you. But this creative within you is not completely trustworthy. They're biased. The creative in you has written it, but it's no good until the editor in you steps into the room and wrestles with the creative. Then you start to decide what's good and what's not. There is that moment of inspiration of songwriting. I used to think that's the zone, that's the place to live. I realize life is a creative is such a small percentage of that. There is the inspiration of songwriting, but the majority of the songwriter's life is devoted to the perspiration of songwriting, of just getting there, hammering it out, line by line, all the time. I believe every great song is an attempt to communicate one thing 
and one thing only, a great song. Because a great song has a laser focus, line by line by line. It points to one thing. Theater writer Stephen Sondheim said, I find it very helpful to write in the top left-hand corner the one truth that this song is about. Um, And I think the one sentence is important because if it takes two or three, there's there's the tendency to ramble and and wander at that point. I've often called that part of, of songwriting the North Star. So if we're in a, in a session, I may go, yeah, but what's what's the North Star? I got to I got to have focus and know what is this? What are we going for here? What's the one thing? Um, it's okay to start in that moment of inspiration of just rambly wandering writing. But at some point, until you decide on the page, what is the North Star, you really can't invite the editor in. Because the editor needs some guidelines to know, is this, is this own task or not? So we're writing the song. And we have, you, you and I are writing this song. And we've decided that, that the North Star of this song is God's faithfulness in my hardest times. That's what it's about. Now we invite the editor in because you brought in a big chunk of a song. And I'm thrilled about the day. Songwriter Carl Cartee says, bring a, bring a party to every place, bring, bring a present to every party you get invited to. And I think about that in, in co-writing. It's like, bring something to it. And if this is a day where we need your present at this party and you brought in like a it's not finished, but here's a verse in a chorus I wrote two weekends ago in the Home Depot parking lot. I'm like, that's great. That's a, that's a lot to start dealing with right there. So we, we're saying this is about God's faithfulness. We start going through this, through the lyric that's there, line by line. Line one, God's faithfulness in hard times, yes. Line two, yes. Line three, Yes, oh, look, and line one and line three rhyme. Oh. Line four, yes, line a chorus. Man, love it. Line two of the chorus. Hmm. Summon up the adrenaline again. And line two of the chorus, and still, you logically can't defend that that line about how much you love the movie Elf supports supports the theme of God's faithfulness in your hard times. What a goober of an example, but um, so then the two little angels pop up on your shoulder and start debating. The good angel says, but it doesn't fit the theme. And the bad angel says, but it's a good lie. The bad, the good angel says, it doesn't fit the theme. And the bad angel says, but my artsy friends will think it's cool. (laughs) The good angel says, it doesn't fit the theme. And the bad angel says, my artsy friends will think I'm cool. And here's your moment of decision as a writer. Your moment of maturity. 
your moment that tells us what you are after, how serious you are about being a great writer. In that moment, are you writing to get or writing to give? Because if you're writing to give, you'll die to self at that point and you'll keep reaching for the better line. Every great song is an attempt to communicate one thing and one thing only. A way that helps us get there sometimes is to outline the song. We hated this in junior high when we were told to outline our papers. Especially that teacher that required you to turn in the outline before you wrote the paper. I have written papers and outlined post, but you, you hate doing that, but it helps. If you can get in the habit of thinking about the whole song before you dive in, I mean, never stop a moment of inspiration. It'll stop itself. So just go hard after that, but don't be married to it. Then when you step back and take a pause, can you start to get vision for the whole song? That's hard. That's hard. Some days I do, some days I don't. Some days I can't. Some days I, I want to and I'm striving to, but I can't get vision for that second verse and that bridge yet. But I think when we do, if we can, it makes the writing process so much more fun when you know you're saving yourself. If you can just, if you're writing God's faithfulness in the hard times and you come up with two phrases that you're going to put in the margin outside the second verse, he's never failed me and there's life on the other side of this. You're going to be careful then not to put he never failed me and the other side in the first verse. You're going to save yourself something. So then as you start to write the first verse, you've got a lot of places to run. And you write that first verse in the chorus. And with something in the margin, you just keep the foot on the gas into the second verse. How many of you have written a first verse and a chorus and then been completely stuck in how to go forward. Yeah. I had a period of that one time as a writer where I was kind of in some ways uncharacteristically not, not finishing some things. Um, I wish I could remember what I read at that point. But what changed for me was somebody said, some, some writer, some interview said, in your rush to bleh, just kind of word vomit everything down on the, on the page at that time, sometimes you put everything about the song in the first verse. When in reality, your second verse is really your third line of your first verse. So it's not a writing issue, it's a pacing issue. Changed it for me. 
songwriting is an emotional process, but songwriting is also an intellectual, logical process. 1 Corinthians 14, 15 says, I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. It's both. It's that duality that we see all through Scripture. John 4, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit. And an unbalanced worship. And there's a lot of unbalanced worship out there that falls on both sides of that spectrum. And we're trying to find all of it. We're trying to be so truthful to the word of God, but, but true and skilled as, as, a, as a wordsmith, but then also bring passion and heat to it. Related to that, a great song is a journey. It's a ride. It's a roller coaster. You know your favorite roller coaster in America. <clears throat> the climb, the drop, the twist, the turn, that fun surprise that's saved for the very end. We must love every part of our song. That signature intro, that first verse that sets the tension, the chorus that <gasps> feels so good, that second verse that takes us someplace new, that chorus that comes back and feels better the second time, and that bridge. <gasps> that bridge. You have no rival. You have no equal. A whole song spent in that bridge right there. That's why I love it. Here's the mark of a great writer, too. When you were outlining the song, I think this is so hard. If I, I, I gave an example of you put two things in the margin for the second verse. Moving from good to great, the great, great writer will find something to put in the margin for the bridge. So that when they get there, they got a little piece of meat sitting in that column that they can build on. Three minutes left. I'm going to race through a couple of, a couple of just from the, from the heart kind of things in conclusion today. If your goal is to put words and music on the lips of great singers, learn the rules. Don't try to break them, but instead prove your mastery over them. That way, as you grow as a writer and you have reason to break the rules, you know why you're breaking it. That's intentionality. That's not laziness in your breaking of them. Pastor John MacArthur said, take care of the depth of your ministry and leave the breadth for God to take care of. We care mightily about our breadth, where our songs are going to go. That's, that quote has been a North Star for me for years. Nope, song by song by song, just focus on the depth of it and leave the breadth for God. <clears throat> Publishers are not looking to sign songs. They are looking to sign songwriters, those who create over and over and over. Do you like writing or do you like having written? The person who likes having written will always tell you about some song back here that they wrote. Somebody asked Vince Gill what's his favorite song ever that he's a part of, and he said the next one. 
That's writers who, they are writers who love the process, the getting in, the sweating it out, the fighting to get it line by line. If you ask me to look at a song, to critique a song of yours, and, and I look down there and you've at the bottom written 2016, I'm a little checked out from the evaluation process because I know you think your best thing was six years ago. Finally, God has uniquely given you your parents. He has given you the schools that you attended. He has given you your best friend in the fourth grade. That special teacher in the 10th grade that fanned something within you. The sermons you have heard, the books you have read, that person that broke your heart, betrayed you. That summer that you spent in that dead-end job, that is you because he was building your window. He is writing your story. His truth is going to pass through your window and be a beautiful thing for others. There are songs that if you don't write them, they won't get written. They're yours to write. Let's pray. Father, we trust you in the sovereignty of writing our stories, how you have made us. We love this art that we give ourselves to. We offer it to you. Help us all in this room to find our stories, our songs, your unchanging, timeless, perfect words of truth passed through our experience and how we know you. That in all the many places we are, we bless your bride and we bring glory to you. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Thanks. I hope that was as meaningful for you as it was for us. If you're a songwriter and you're resonating with any of what you heard today, we'd love to get to know you more and introduce you to some folks in our community. All of our podcast interviews and guest lectures come from either our Writing Club monthly breakouts or our annual Writing Worship Conference. Check out the show notes to learn how to get more involved with Writing Club, our mentorship taught by our founder, Chrissy Nordoff, or stuff we talked about in today's episode. Find us on Facebook at the Writing Worship Community, on Instagram at writingworship.co, and our website, writingworship.co. We love meeting new folks and supporting songwriters, so be sure to stop in, say hello, and get to know us a little bit. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The times I've grown most as a songwriter are the times I've had mentors showing me the way. If you're looking to grow as a songwriter, we're now accepting applications for our Worship Songwriter Mentorship. Now it's available only a few times each year. 
The Worship Songwriter Mentorship is a songwriting intensive that will help you craft impactful worship songs. It's a course created by Dove Award-winning and Grammy-nominated, drumroll here please, our founder, pro songwriter Chrissy Nordoff. It's a small group community, and it's led by other songwriters over the course of nine weeks. It's an intensive course and a small group co-writing environment, and that means you'll be added to a special group of about 12 writers, give or take. Each group is led by experienced songwriters, some of them my dear, dear friends, and I've even gotten to lead a group or two. Rachel here, by the way. We love the church, and we love to champion fellow worship songwriters just like yourself. In this mentorship, you'll learn how to write songs for you and your congregation. You'll go deeper in your intimacy with Jesus. You'll get the tools needed to help craft songs more easily and never run out of creative ideas. Okay, I know it sounds too good to be true, but trust me, this course is a game changer. You'll learn how to leverage your unique songwriting personality and connect with other like-minded writers in a meaningful way. Truly, I can't think of another course, group of people, community that has impacted my songwriting the way that this mentorship has. If you're wanting to take the next steps in your songwriting journey, then apply now at the link in our show notes. We hope to see you there.